This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. As even though we you, people who run, they they might enter our race now and then. I have friends, pastor friends, who run marathons and Ironman things and half marathons, just all the kind of crazy stuff that they do. Um, have fun with that, but 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 the friends I have who run uh, and do enter races, something that I've heard them say, and I think it's true, uh, is really when you're a runner, you're really competing against yourself. At the end of the day, and you might be in a race, but really they they all have their watches and their timers, and and they're competing against themselves. and And you'll hear the term personal best. I have a friend; he's a pastor in Germantown Hills, and he's, he goes, "Oh, I had a, I had a personal best." In the Mar- he, he ran a, an Ironman last summer. And the thing is, runners who, who have that kind of mentality want, want to get better. They, they, want, they want to know where they were, what their, what, what a, their success, their best was, and they, and they want to do better. They want to get better, whatever their personal best was. They want to improve themselves. And so they measure themselves, and, and they, they analyze themselves. This is where I was, this is what I was doing, and, and this is where I am now. And I think there's some good wisdom in that as we run the Christian race. As we look at areas of growth uh, or areas where we need to grow in the Christian race. And like, like a runner, we don't compare ourselves to each other. If you're comparing yourself, we talked about this yesterday, Jeremy and I in the car. Uh, when you want to head a direction that's not good, you, what we do is we compare ourselves to people who are worse than us. Don't we? Instead of when we want to do better, we compare ourselves to people who are better than us. And so what we do when we start comparing, we, we start looking around like, well, I'm not really doing that bad. And ultimately, the, the one that we compare ourselves is, is our big brother, Christ. And we want to be like him. And so we compare ourselves to him. And, and we look, therefore, we look at areas where we need to grow. We need to do, we need to do better uh, than we have in the past. And it takes some honesty, and it takes uh, intentionality, and it, it takes like this. This is an area where I, I need to do better. And the assumption that I'm going to make this morning, as is, is we start this uh, little message, is that the assumption is that that's where we all are. I'm going to assume that if you're a Christ follower, that's you. You want to do better than you did last year. You, wanted, you, you, know, you know what your personal best spiritually is, and you know what that looks like for you, but you also know the weaknesses that you had last year. And so I'm going to assume that we all are on the same page where we want to do better for the Lord. We want to do better in the race that we're called to run than, than we have in the past. And that, the title, title of this, Running Your Best Race, I think that's a good goal. I want to do the very best I can for Christ this year. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture and look at five, if you will, running tips in God's infallible word, scriptures that he's given us. And we're going to see five things that we can do. Actually, five things that we should do. Because these, these running tips, um, don't be misled by the word tips there. They're not just suggestions. Hey, if you want to, these are commands from scripture. But they might be areas where we need to kind of pick it up a little bit in, in our running. So they're... they're there are five tips that we should incorporate and in, in, in put into our lives as we run the Christian race in 2024. 
So you have an outline on your, in your bulletin there with some blanks to fill in if you'd like to follow along. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. I know it's going to stretch you, but it's the first Sunday of the year, so we're going to, we're going to do that. Uh, you, I, the, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, just, I'm always afraid there's going to be somebody without a Bible. But if you have a Bible, I'm going to have you turn to one passage for each of these five points. I know that's like work, but you'll be okay. So let me encourage you to do that. If you have a Bible or if you have a Bible on your phone or on a tablet, that's awesome too. But I'm going to encourage you to just five passages you got to turn to this morning, but I'm going to encourage you to do that. Just kind of a way of stretching us this morning. So number one, number one in your outline there is eliminate the things that are slowing you down. Turn to Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. And again, the verses will still be up here, but um, it's good to learn, it's good to get in that habit of turning to the passages. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I'll give you a second. Eliminate the things that are slowing you down. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, there's a lot packed into those two verses. We, those two verses could be a series in themselves, but for our purposes this morning, I want to zero in on one, one little truth in, in, the, in those verses. And that truth, for us to run well, it, it's in verse one. We need to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. I think sometimes... That, that, ver, that phrase in this passage is, is neglected a little bit because we, we look at, uh, we focus in on the everything, that, everything that hinders. And we've talked about this passage enough around here that those are the things that aren't necessarily sins or they're not bad, but they just kind of have taken a place, a priority in our life that, uh, that they shouldn't have. So we, we, we talk about that and we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus all the time here. But in the middle there, there's that, there's that little, and the sin it so easily entangles. And I think that we tend to maybe skip over that more than we should. So that's where I want to drill down this morning and focus on the sin that so easily entangles or sin so easily that trips us up. Years ago, uh, on Sunday mornings, we preached through the book of Hebrews. And I, and I remember when we got to this passage, one of, the, one of the things we did, I was trying to remember who it was. Maybe you can help me remember this morning. But our but to kind of illustrate this, that the sin that so easily entangles, I had somebody, was it Judah? Somebody who was a runner at that point, and this was years ago. But I, I had them down here, and I had a rope, and I tangled it all through their legs. And I think I actually raced them down the aisle. And I think I won, <laughs> which was the point of the, the illustration that when sin entangles us, and that's, that's the wording here, the, the sin that so easily entangles us, it hinders us, it keeps us from running the Christian race like we should. And so 
simply this morning for this first point is, is what's that for you? What sins do you need to determine, in the words of the writer of Hebrews here, determine to throw off so that you can run the race for Jesus well? What, what, are, what, what are those things for you? I'm afraid that often, too often, we, we coddle, we excuse, we rationalize, we put up with, or I think probably most often we try to manage our sin instead of throwing it off. Or even a more extreme or severe verse, Colossians 3, 3 and 5 says, Paul says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You're dead. We're, you're a dead man walking. That's what scripture teaches. But your life, not that we're, we're not spiritually dead, we're spiritually alive and, and our lives are hidden um, with Christ and God. And so he goes on to say, so put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your, your earthly nature. We still live in fallen, carnal flesh. And so one of, the, one of the, the tasks that we have as Christ followers, as long as we're in this world, is to put to death that stuff that still resides in our flesh that, that's contrary to what God would have for us. And it doesn't say figure it out or, or, or manage it or, or kind of execute it. Put it, execute it, put it to death. And so again, this morning, as we talk about this, this, eliminate the things that are slowing you down, what is that for you? And that's not a rhetorical question. Like right now, think, what are the sins that are just kind of like entangling my, my heart? They're slowing me down. And that takes honesty and that takes humility to have that conversation between you and God. But what are those things? Is it Pride. Is it self-righteousness? Is it a grumbling spirit? Is it a critical spirit? Is it gossip? Is it using speech that's unbecoming of a Christian? Like we talked about in Sunday school, is it discontentment? Is it sexual immorality? Whatever it is, whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit right now is like poking you in the chest and saying, this is the thing for you. Whatever it is, determine on this first Sunday of, of the new year by God's grace and with his enabling not to indulge that any longer, not to coddle that sin in your heart any longer, but to, to, to throw it off by, by God's grace and by God's power. And, and you'll, you, you'll never run a, a successful Christian race if you don't do that. You'll be, you'll, you'll be the, with the ropes intertwined in, in your life and you, maybe you kind of hop and maybe you kind of whatever, but you're never going to run like, like you should if, if, we, if you don't throw off the sin that's entangling your heart. And we all know what that is for us. And so I like that this is the first one because this is really where we need to start is, is taking care of that in our lives and confessing that. Eliminate the things that are slowing us down. Number two, mind your daily disciplines. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27.
By, by the way, before, before I read these verses, isn't it just so cool that God, the Holy Spirit, chose running as a metaphor for the Christian race? There's so many, so many lessons, so many applications that we're going to see this morning. God was so smart in how he wrote, wrote the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Don't you know that a race, in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into, and here's the words we're going to focus on in this passage, strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we did a crown that, to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There, that, I, I, I said we're going to focus in on that little phrase there, strict training. There's that, that little two-word English phrase is a two-word Greek phrase and so I, I put the Greek word for strict on the screen. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But I wanted you to see it because strict means to, to struggle, to strive, and to agonize. See agonize in that word? That's where we get our English word agonize. That's, that's the, the, the feeling of that word strict. Is that it's a, there's a struggle with that. There's, a, there's almost an agony with that. It, it takes effort. And then the word training really means to exercise self-control. And so, in other words, that strict training is the hard work of minding your daily disciplines. I think that's what Paul's getting to that in that passage. It's, it's the hard work, it's the striving, it's the agonizing, it's the struggling for the daily spiritual disciplines that we need to be in our lives. So implied in that, and here's the, the hard part, implied in that is the reality that we're not always going to feel like it. How many have ever been there with your Bible reading, with your prayer, with coming to church? It's, it's like, uh, that's part of the deal here. This strict training, anybody who's going to run well is going to, is going to understand that there's going to be days where we don't feel like it. And there's, there's going to be the struggling and the strive, but, it, but at the end of the day, the self-discipline is what matters. I thought of a, a, a parallel to this to running because I, I don't run anymore and maybe you don't either so, but I thought something that we all do especially this time of year is dieting <laughs> the the agony <laughs> of, of dieting and I thought about how successful would a diet be if you only dieted on the days that you felt like it <laughs> which I don't know about you but that's like about zero days um, but trying to get healthier and trying to keep the blood pressure down and all that stuff. But it, it's, it can't be, and you know what it's like, you know, you can have a good day and then you, then you blow it and then you're like, oh man, what's the, you know, and that, that struggle, but, but the, the idea, the strict training here is it doesn't depend on how I feel and if I feel like doing the, the spiritual discipline or not. It doesn't, it's not, because I know this is the good thing for me to do. And neglecting the disciplines of time in the Word and time of prayer and, and fasting. We don't talk about fasting very much, but, but even gathering together as a church family, in, in, in the words of Paul in verse 26, is like somebody running aimlessly. 
I don't know about, I don't know what vision, com what picture comes to mind, and this is going to date me, but, but I, for some reason I have the, the guy on Monty Python just kind of running, just like running aimlessly, you know, in their skits they would do that, stuff like that. Like that's, the, that's the picture here. Without that strict training, without, without that self-discipline that we're, we strive and we struggle for, we're just like willy-nilly. That's how we're running, if we run at all. Paul even said, and look at verse 27, he even said that he had to strike a blow to his body. That's literally, in, in, he, 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 that, that strike a blow is to give, your, give somebody a black eye. He said, I even have to, because I, I, I know my body and I know the carnality that's still into me and I have to subject my body to the point where I am not going to be disqualified from this race. So I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. And so if we're not intentional about the disciplines of the faith, we're never going to run well for our Lord. And we're not going to be growing to be more like Jesus. And so the question for this one is, what spiritual disciplines do you need to stop making excuses about? I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I got this going on. What spiritual disciplines do you need to stop making excuses about and start incorporating into your, your daily life? And the Christian, the Christian life is daily. Like, like, run, like a running regimen or like a diet. Like it's like, okay, you can have those days, but, you, but to be successful, you got to string those together, right? And it's the same thing, I think, spiritually. The daily disciplines. Okay, I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. I'm... I'm, I'm Weekly, I'm, I'm gathering together with my church family to, to worship. Like, like, all that matters. And we can't run well, we won't run well if, if we don't have this strict training, this, this striving and struggling to have self-control when it comes to our daily disciplines that need to be a part of our lives. Number three, don't try to run alone. Turn to Hebrews 10, please. Hebrews 10. Some of us could probably quote these verses, but it's good to see them. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Don't try to run alone. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us... Now, as I read these, maybe you haven't done this before, listen for the, the communal, the, 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 the corporate language in, in these verses. Let us, there's the first one, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You can't, th those words that I stressed as I was reading those verses, you can't do that without, alone. You can't do those us and one another's and all that. You can't do that alone. And so I was thinking about the, the, the concept of running together, group, group running. And again, I'm not a runner. So this, I had to look it up on the internet. And I thought, what, what would a runner say are the benefits of running 
with other people, group, group running. And so with the magic of the internet, I Googled that, and I found this article, and, and I found this article that said, 10 benefits of running together. And I was, I'm gonna read through that list of 10 here in a second. And I was reading that list, and I thought, this is the genius of God in, in the, the parallel, the, the, the metaphor of running with, with the Christian life, because this, this list is us. This list is church. Um, and it wasn't a Christian website. It, it was just like a, a runner's website. But this could, be, this could be describing what church should be for us. I thought, this is amazing how God had forethought, like even running together, what, what the benefits of what that is, looks like uh, with people who run and what it should look like for us running together as a church family. So here are the benefits, 10 benefits of running together. You have, a, you have built-in role models. In other words, you have people that you can look to and learn from. In that church, we have built, look around the room. Go ahead, look around the room. You have built-in role models here. You have people that you can look to like, oh, that's how you, you do suffering when somebody you love dies. That's how you do life when you, when you lose your job. Oh, that's how you raise kids. We have, we, we have built-in role models in the body of Christ. That's God's design. Number two, you'll motiv motivate each other. The, the article said there's a built-in cheering squad. Isn't that what the church is? We're for each other. We root each other on. We, we're, we're doing this with each other, and, and there's accountability with that, and we're, we're, we're cheering one another on. Number three, you have a sense of purpose as you mentor others. Your purpose in the church is that I have, I have a responsibility for others to be able to look at me and what it looks like to run the Christian life. Number four, you get creative stimulation. You're, you brainstorm better ideas. We're going to do this Wednesday night with our ministry teams. You brainstorm ideas for how to run better, how to serve better. There, there's that, that, that energy of like working together and getting ideas from each other. That's church. Number five, your performance will improve because there's this thing called positive peer pressure. And we look around each other and, and we, as we're cheering one another on, we, we see, I want to I I walk with God like they walk with God. I do that all the time with the senior saints at our church. So impressed with, with our older folks here. And, and that improves my performance in running as I look at them and I see how they're running. Number six, you can network. You build relationships. There's a camaraderie as we're, as we're doing life together as a church. Number seven, it's safer to run with others. In that church, in that church there's safety in numbers, the article said. And, it, and the article said this, and it's harder to get lost. When you're running with others, there's, there's that accountability and somebody starts heading off the trail, you know, and we just like help each other and like, hey man, that's not, that's not the way you want to go. That's not going to be good for your marriage. That's not going to be good for, your, for you as a dad or a mom. Like, and so we help their safety in that. Number eight, we can beat boredom. We stretch each other. We fellowship with each other. The, one of the things we're going to talk about is, is the, the longevity of this race that we're in. And it, it can, like days and it's days... Um, it can be hard, but doing it together helps with that. Number nine, 
you feel a sense of community. Like-minded people understand that we're, we're in something here that's bigger than ourselves, that's bigger than us. Church is, church is about something way, way bigger than us, and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And number 10, you'll expand your social circle. You meet new people that normally, again, look around the room. You can go ahead and do that if you want. We all wouldn't be in a room together if we didn't have the commonality of the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't want me in your room, probably. It, it was, but but we, we, we expand, like God just collects us in this, this island of misfit toys he brings together and we love each other and we're doing life together. And there's a camaraderie that only Christ and the Holy Spirit can cause. And again, we're not competing against each other. We're competing against ourselves. And there are the, the running alone times where you're in the word yourself and you're in prayer by yourself. But those things shouldn't be a substitute for us running together with our church. In fact, I would say this. I have in my notes and I got it highlighted. It's impossible to run well for Christ if you're not running with your church family. Because the reality is the moment that you're saved, you were saved into a community called the church. The church is God's plan for the world today. And there's no plan B. It's meant for our good. It's meant for our growth. It's meant for our care. It's meant for our safety. The church is a good gift from God. It's called the bride of Christ, and it's, it's for us. And I think in our world today, we, we tend to say, well, I work with Christians, and we talk about the Lord at work. We pray over our lunch. That's not church. Well, I, I, I have Christian friends. I hang. That's not church. Church is a group of believers where the ordinances are followed, and, and there's, there's biblical leadership, elders and deacons, and there's other things, but that's church. That's God's design for church. So be careful about saying, I'm not, I'm not running alone. I've got Christian friends that we, we go out every Friday night, you know, whatever. That's not church. And that's good. Do, the, do those things and have those people in your life, and, but that's not church. God's design for the world today, his plan for the world today is the local church. And you can't run the Christian race well if you're not running with people in your church. And I know, God, I know people, I know them personally, who, who are ignoring this, this command in Scripture, and their lives are a train wreck. Oh, I, I, we know people are great. We get together, we go to dinner and stuff. But they're, but they're totally disengaged from a church. And it's not going to work. You can't outsmart God. You can't say, well, I'm going I'm to do it my way, but it'll be okay. You can't outsmart God. There's, a, there's an old saying, and I, I looked it up. I don't even know who said it. But I wrote it in my notes here. Satan watches for the vessels that sail without a convoy. Don't try to run apart from your church family. Have Christian friends. Have people that you hang out with. And have, but never let that be a substitute for the body of Christ. There's, some, there's something different about this, what's in this room right now. Don't try to run alone. Number four. 
since we're, since we're in the weeds here, avoid political and cultural quagmires as much as possible. Cindy goes, I told her what this point was. She goes, well, you're going to have to tell people what a quagmire is. So it is what it sounds like. I don't even know what the definition is, but we kind of all know, don't we? Avoid the political and cultural quagmires as much as possible. Every once in a while in this world, you're going to have to run through some mud. That's just life in a fallen world. But don't go looking for it. And avoid it when you can. I'm not suggesting that we should have our heads in the sand and we should be naive about things that are going on in our world. I don't think that's honoring to the Lord either. But that can't be where we live. We need the majority of our running time to be on the solid ground of the Word of God. Focusing on what He wants us to focus on. Things like that are listed in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. To paraphrase Paul, think on such things. The opposite of the quagmire. Turn to 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy if you would. Fascinating verses as it relates to this point we're, we're on right now. If you're in Sunday school, your Bible ought to open to 1 Timothy. Just go a little to the right. 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And then jump down to verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Civilian affairs... um, getting entangled in civilian affairs aren't necessarily wrong or bad things, but they're not what the soldier signed up for. When you sign on the dotted line, I wasn't, it was fun at our uh, Evergreen luncheon last Friday. I was the only guy, and I was looking around the table. I was so thankful for the the men who were around the table. I was the only one that wasn't in the military at our table. And I think they were all in the Air Force. Am I right? All Air Force guys. Is there a hua or is there something like something that Air Force guys say? I don't know. I don't. Know. You can tell I don't know what I'm talking about. But when you sign up, you sign up for the Air Force, and you sign your name on that line. You're like saying, okay, civilian affairs are not going to be my concern right now. What my commanding officer wants is going to be from here on out my what I focus on. And when we when we sign on the line, we accept Christ as Savior. That's what we're saying. The stuff of this world, those other things, it's not like they're not important anymore, but they're not going to be my main focus. Pleasing my commanding officer, Jesus Christ, is what's going to be the, the, the priority in my life. And we need, so we need, we need to be really careful with this, getting caught up and consumed with things of this world to the point where they become distractions away from that. Our main priority being pleasing our commanding officer. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying we shouldn't even know or care about those things, but they're not the thing 
for somebody who's a soldier of Jesus Christ. They're not our primary focus. And this is an election year. And chances are it's going to get messy again. Maybe messier. And we should be informed and we should pray and we should stand up for biblical principles and we should vote. But we should let pleasing our commanding officer be the primary focus of our lives. And if we spend a lot of our time, just to put it on the bottom shelf, if we spend too much time on Fox News or Joe Rogan or whatever, however else you consume stuff of this world, you're not going to run well. You're going to be entangled, in the words of Paul here, entangled in civilian affairs. And again, it's not being naive, but it's also not, not being consumed by that. And, and that's, a, that's a hard thing in our world today because it just comes at us like a fire hose on, on reels and on news and on just whatever. And we have, to be, we have to be really careful about letting that be the thing for us as Christians in this world. Because at the end of the day, Scripture says that we're not Republican, we're not independent, or whatever we might say we are. We're citizens of heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11 that we're sojourners and exiles in this world. We're sojourners and exiles. And if we get consumed, here's, here's another thing about just getting caught in that quagmire of politics and culture in our world. A lot of times when that happens, we stop being evangelistic and we, we, we start being antagonistic. MacArthur, John MacArthur has a quote, and kind of paraphrasing his quote, he says, those, when that happens, those with opposing views become the enemy rather than lost souls who need Christ. Doesn't that happen? And we live in a divided culture, divided world, and, and there's, there's friends and enemies. That's not a Christian perspective of the world. There's people who need Christ. And when we get stuck in that mud, that the quagmire of whether it's culture or politics in our world, we, lose, we can lose perspective and we get an unhealthy, everything, everything is skewed. So to run well for Christ, we got to, as much as we can, with, and there's a balance there. Again, you got, you got to figure that out with, with a lot of prayer and God's help, but um, be wise about that, especially this year. Be wise about what you consume, how much you consume, and from whom you consume. As much as possible. And then number five. And I alluded to this earlier. Think marathon, not sprint. Turn to Galatians 6, 9, if you would. Galatians 6, 9. The last one. I know your fingers are all tired now, but carpal tunnel everywhere. But Galatians 6, 9. Actually, I, I alluded to this verse. I think it was back at the Christmas banquet. God was just working on me with a lot of things, and he still is, but it was, it was an interesting month, and, and this verse has just been challenging to me. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, period. 
There's not a period there. If we don't give up. As we run this race, we need to think endurance. And, and the, the phrase that's been in my mind for months now is long game. We need to think long game when it comes to Christian, when it comes to witnessing. We live in post-Christian America, so witnessing is going to be a long game. Sanctification is a long game. Not growing weary and well-doing is the, is the long game, and that means we don't quit early. And there are going to be days, I get it, there are going to be days where you're going to fail on your daily disciplines, where you're, you're going to get tripped up by that sin again. You're going to allow yourself to go too far down that dark hole of politics. I know that's going to happen. Get up. Keep going. Ask for God's forgiveness. And keep going in the race by God's grace. We're not, back in Fairview Elementary School, this is going to surprise you. When Fairview Elementary School, we would have in the spring like an Olympics. And I don't want to brag. but I was the school champion in the 50-yard dash. <laughs> uh, that's my one claim of fame, and thank you, Ed, for being impressed with that. We're, <laughs> we're not in a 50-yard dash. By the way, I couldn't run 50 yards now if I had to. We're not in that. We're, we're in the 26-mile marathon. And the finish line isn't until we take our last breath in this world. So we can't let ourselves be discouraged by what we see around us, what we see in us, what we see God doing, what we think God should be doing. We can't, we, we can't let that be the thing that, that slows us down, that keeps us from running the race. We can't be weary in well-doing as we run a race that God has laid out for us to run. And I sense, just my two cents, but I sense there's a lot of Christians tapping out these days. If I could change a common saying here, we live in a day of easy quitism. Things aren't going my way, I'm out. Cost is too high, I'm done. I'm not seeing fruit for my labor, never mind. Again, we're in a marathon we, don't know, we really don't even know where the finish line is until God calls us home or Christ comes back and we breathe our last in this world. That's the finish line for us. And a question that, as I, I told you, that, that Galatians 6-9 was going through my mind a lot recently. And the, I don't even know if I read this question somewhere or I thought of it, but it doesn't matter. What blessing is waiting on the other side of my obedience? What blessing is waiting on the other side of your obedience? Paul doesn't specify. He doesn't tell us what the harvest will be. It could be soul saved. It could be spiritual growth in you, in me, in us. It certainly, I think we can say it's fruit of the Spirit is part of the harvest. All he says is God promises that if we don't quit, we're going we're gonna to know a harvest. God will bless our perseverance. And that requires that we think marathon. I've been, 
one, one of the things I've learned, I learned a long time ago, 40 years ago, when we start, I started driving back and forth between here and McCain, Pennsylvania, is you just got to adjust your mind to, I'm, this is going to be all day. If as kids we start, we get to, to uh, Decatur or Champaign and we say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's going to be a day of frustration. And we got to adjust our mentality, our minds to, we're in this for the long haul. God, until you say it's done, I'm going to keep going. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to grow weary in what you've called me to do. And the cool thing, and we, we talked about this last Friday, a short devotional at the, the Evergreen Luncheon. The cool thing is about how God has built hope into the Christian life. Christianity is, is a faith, a religion of hope. We're, we have a, a religion of optimism. And as we are in that long game, that long haul, we can't let, our, let, our, let ourselves get discouraged by that. And we have hope and we have, we have joy and we have all the things that God's given us as we run this race for him. And there are days that's hard, but there's a lot of days just that God, by his grace, gives us that joy that we need for that day, the grace for that day. So we need to think marathon and not sprint. So to wrap it up here, by definition, by definition, running is simply taking the next step, right? As you think about the Christian race that you're running, what's the next step that you need to take? Maybe your next steps are one of these five that we looked at this morning. In fact, I, I hope that's the case. That you look down that list and say, yeah, this, this, is, this is something I need to work on. I want to run better for Christ, and this is something I'm going to focus on. Maybe your next step is baptism. You've accepted Christ as Savior, and you've just kind of like been sitting on your hands, and, and you know it's a step of obedience that you need to take as, as a Christ follower, but you've never been baptized. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is, is we, talk, we talked about the, the importance of running together as, as, a, as a church family, is, is planting your flag here at Grace Church and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be part of this local church. Maybe your next step is just to get up and get moving. You've allowed yourself to become a spectator in the stands instead of participant on the track. Maybe your next step is just surrendering your life to the Lord. For whatever reason, you've been holding back pride or embarrassment or whatever it is, and maybe your next step is, I don't know Christ as Savior. But for all of us who are Christ followers, I would suggest our next step is always going to be to keep surrendering our will and our choices and our decisions and our relationships and everything about us to our Savior. That surrender, surrendering isn't a one-and-done thing for Christians. We need to do that daily or multiple times a day. God, I'm, I'm surrendering. I've felt this come up in me. This isn't pleasing to you. I'm surrendering that to you. And just having that kind of lifestyle where we're living in surrender to what God has for us. Whatever your next step is, let me encourage you to take that step today and keep going for the Lord.
If you would, let's stand. We're going to finish with a song and we'll be done this morning. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.